Yeah, so, I mean, we'll talk about it today. Okay. So, I'll answer that question. So, we're going to talk about the service. Right. And, the, and it, it's in the context of the service. Um, and then, like, for our sons, like, what, how long do they need to be in school? Or? Um, it's not so much how, it's how long. It's, it actually is just connected to their confession of faith. Right. So, the problem, part of the problem, and this is not just true with this conversation, but it's generally true with everything that we call... I call it catechesis. I don't even like to use the word education or school, right? Um, I mean, the, the term Sunday school, for example, that's from the Baptists. That's not, <laughs> wasn't a Lutheran thing. Um, we didn't have Sunday school. You know, they had, we had catechesis on Sunday and, you know, you may come with your children or there may be a separate catechesis for the children. But that's, that's only, that's not probably less than 100 years old as far as practice goes. No, Sunday school. Uh, but catechesis with the children, I mean, our churches from basically day one had day schools, but the, they weren't day schools. The kids would go for a couple hours each day, you know, the boys maybe for two and the girls for three or something like that. Um, and it was taught generally, you know, especially church like this that was small at the beginning. It was the pastor who taught the school as well. So he would teach the faith, he'd teach language, you know, maybe Latin, um, and then uh, they would they would read great books. That was basically what we today call classical education. That's right. what they did. Some reading, some writing, arithmetic, you know, some science, of course. And, um, but focused on learning the faith. So, uh, but there's all sorts of other things with the reception of the Lord's Supper. So that's a more complicated conversation. But we'll get to it. Because um, what we're going to do today is look at the divine service, the setup for it. Do you have your book? No? Okay. okay. Uh, not that, not the catechism, but the this book. Yeah, because that's what we're using. I don't follow it precisely. This is the service we've been using, so we're going to walk through it. Yeah, so you can use the hymnal. But um, I'm going to talk a, a couple of things based off what we did last week, which was that, um, remember last week we looked at Acts right at the end. I think it was, yeah, or two weeks ago. Yeah, last class. Um, we looked at Acts, and there were a, a few things that happened, right? You had preaching. Peter preached a sermon, right? And then there was baptism, right? And then there was the... I'm, I'm doing this from memory. This is all in Acts chapter 2. Let's see. So they were baptized, and then there was um, the doctrine or teaching, right? So they, and that was the apostles' teaching, very specific, so those who had been taught by Jesus then taught the people, and then it's handed down. It's a tradition, right? Apostles' teaching. And then you had the fellowship, or the, uh, the you might even say the gathering. So, so they had church. They actually met together. Um, the breaking of the bread. So we say Lord's Supper. Uh, not exactly. I mean, he was the, I think, You'd have to do violence to the scripture to say that he wasn't the lead apostle. And he was the lead for the apostolic church until the Council of Acts, in Acts, in Acts 15. And then, then you kind of have a split because, um, especially after Jerusalem is destroyed, <laughs> then the, the apostles go all over the place. And there's not really a guy in charge. It's only when they're all t still gathered together in Jerusalem mm -hmm. that Peter's the, the head, wow. right? But he he does seem to he does seem to be the guy that's out in front you know through most of the gospels, yeah. Lord's Supper, um, so the breaking of the bread, the the prayers, and we talked about that. That's what we're going to talk about today, um, which you could say it's it's the prayers literally in Greek. So you're talking about the formal prayers. I mean, it's not to discount any other informal prayer that you might say in your home with your family or something like that. We're talking about specifically what's the prayer they do when they gather together. This, the word that was used in the translation was uh, fellowship here. I said gathering, that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, and then there was another thing that happened is that they collected um, offerings. And so then you have offerings or tithes if you prefer, but it doesn't matter, Off. Offer rings, there we go. Um, and, and that was connected also to charity. They took care of those in need of, of, the, of the fellowship, but also those in the community. So, this, I mean, this is kind of the, this is the life of the church right there. Wow. 
Uh, I mean, it's all right there in Acts chapter 2 with, the, with Pentecost leading into the, the end of Acts chapter 2. So, I mean, this is helpful because um, all of these elements, <laughs> to, to one degree or another, are present every time we gather, uh, especially in what we call the divine service. It's, um, it's an unfortunate name. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about today. We call it divine service. If you're in the Eastern Church, um, they, they use the word liturgy instead of service. Um, and liturgy is just, liturgia is the Greek word, and it just means service. <laughs> but the, they, this is the key word, um, because divine isn't so helpful. You should say, uh, it's actually God's. The, the old German word that we used to use for this, and then we, when we went to English, we kind of got confused. Was Godestinst? Yeah, for what we do on Sunday, okay. or, or tonight. Okay. Um, Godestinst. Well, what we do on Sunday, they actually said they added another word in front, as they do in German. They just keep adding things on. So Hauptgottesdienst, the High Godestinst. Goddess meaning God. You see God in there, and Dienst is service, uh -huh. right? But the key is that it, it's this. It's God's liturgy. It's God's service, sure. meaning. Um, you have to think in terms of direction. And, yeah, so, so you have um, God, and then this is us, and this is our neighbor. All right. And this is how most people think of it. It's like we come to God and we offer him something, and then we offer our neighbor something, right? Um, and it's true. Faith towards God and love towards one another. You hear that each Sunday most Sundays, that's the collect I use after we receive the Lord's Supper. Right. Say that God would in increase faith toward you and fervent love toward one another. Um, but the problem is, is that, that that prayer comes at the end. After God has served us with his, his word, with teaching, with, with our baptism, with the, actually the whole group of people that he's brought together, is, that's his doing too, right? The Lord's Supper, it's obviously his body and blood that he gives us. Right? The prayers. He even gives us the words to pray, which we're going to talk about tonight. And then, uh, and then off offerings are, we always think those are the things that we give to God, right? But you can't give to him unless he's already given to you first. You have nothing to give unless he's actually given it oh. to you. Right, right. So um, this is an act of faith. Um, and that's, I mentioned it. It was just one line in the sermon on Sunday. So I didn't make a big deal out of it, but um, the reason why you give 10% or some percentage, the reason why you would give to the church before you do anything else, you can pay the bills or whatever, is it's an act of faith. Saying that God will provide everything else needed, but my, my first priority is that, that the word of God be preserved, mm -hmm. the place where he's promised to give it to me, the people that he's, he's set up to deliver his gifts, mm -hmm. all of that. Uh, and that goes, that's from the beginning of the book, from Cain and Abel all the way through into the New Testament. So that, that's not lost. The, it switches in the New Testament. It no longer becomes by way of obligation, but it, it, it switches into, an, again, just an act of faith. Um, and so the New Testament church didn't see like that, the prescription of like 10% from Leviticus as being... Necessary. A, not necessary. They, uh, if you look at... If you look at like the, the early church fathers, not the apostles so much, but the early church fathers, they said 10% is a good starting point. So the Christians were trying to exceed the demand of the law and do even more, give, give even more than what, uh, what the law required, right? Which is an act of faith then. An act of faith, right? Because you're like, God only required 10% to the Old Testament people. And now I'm going to give even more, not because I have to, but because I, you know, I trust in him. Right, I'm thankful, um, and of course, offerings are never for—they're not just—they don't just go into a box and then disappear, you know, unlike taxes, right? Um, it's like, where is this money going? I posted it on Facebook today. I posted on Facebook today the the breakdown of the uh, forty billion dollar Ukraine bill. Oh, the breakdown. Yeah, just a breakdown of the line item, and so and, it, oh, and a friend of mine summarized it. He wrote. Well, so they've agreed to buy $20 billion worth of arms from us, and we're going, but we're also going to spend $20 billion then to do, I mean, it's a $40 billion deal, and it's like 
and the $20 billion of arms have a guaranteed purchase from us. Right. So we're going to loan you the money to buy the guns from us and missiles and whatever. That's a total scam, right? It's just a big, it's a black box. You put the money in, you don't know. It it's like yeah. Actually, it's not like the government's coming and taking your chicken. Hmm. No. Taking it away, they come to your place and shoot the chicken and leave. That's right, that. right, right. Yeah. So, um, the, so the church is very different than that, was my point. Um, <laughs> Whereas, you know, uh, accountability is a big deal. And that's really established from the apostles because of uh, the incident with Judas. That Judas, because of his greed, thought he'd attach himself to Jesus. He put on a good show, right, as far as his faithfulness. He didn't believe any of it. He just wanted to make a buck. Or, I, I think it's, it's hard to know, but certainly by the end. Um, I can't remember which evangelist says it, but one of, one of the four Gospels has, has a comment about Judas before Holy Week. Something about his, like he looked to, sometimes he would take out a little extra from out of the, the money box. Yeah. So, oh, it, actually it's during Holy Week, but it's referring to past events. I think it's John that says that. And then did he regret his decision then after Jesus was in the No, that he, he, he wasn't, because, and we know that Judas was acting not in faith, but he, because he, uh, when they had the opportunity to go to Jesus and, and repent, say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. He didn't go to Jesus. He went back to the chief priests and said, here's your silver back. Please forgive me. And it's like, no, we're not going to forgive you. Right. So his, his faithfulness was still in those high priests. So anyway, so it's a little bit different in the church. It's not just simply, oh, you get to see family pictures. That's nice. Uh, I don't think we're actually going to use it. I can turn it off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, offerings, I mean, we want to make a distinction here, and they do in, in Acts. Offerings are, are for the work, the local work, right? So the work of the church. So, uh, at some point, things shifted, and the churches would take offerings and then distribute. Um, but typically, that's under another category of charity, or we would say like missions and mercy work. Um, you could say, I like charity, though. And you could put that all in one big pot and say like 30% of the money that comes in, we're going to give to charity or we're going to give you know, for charitable work outside of the congregation. Um, that would kind of be a way to go about it. But I think especially today, people, maybe it's because of their experience with things like the government, they want accountability from start to finish. And that was my point of bringing up Judas, is that, you know, you can expect that of the church, that every dollar, every penny, can, it, you know where it goes. It's, there's no... There's no slush funds and things. I've seen congregations that have had such things, and it does not go well. Right. You know, actually, it was a congregation that I served as a pastor, one of the previous pastors. It came time for a building project, and they're like, they're like, okay, we're gonna have to do like a capital campaign, arrange, raise a bunch of money for it. He's like, it's okay, I already have money set aside. And they're like, what? <laughs> Where? He's like, oh, in that other account. What other account? Well, I was taking money, I was siphoning off money into another account, like for a rainy day. Didn't tell the congregation he was doing it. Oh. Yeah. Right. And destroys trust because yeah. they're like, yeah, you weren't telling me. All right. So our point was, we're talking about this, which all of that is included in the liturgy and the divine service, the Gottesdienst, as we call it in German. We don't, nobody says that anymore, but I do. <laughs> <clears throat> and so the purpose is to continue, continue, continuously deliver um, the gifts that God has established. Um, so you'll know you've got the hymnal there. Um, I don't know if you've, I don't know, you're always wrestling the children, yeah. but we try to be very um, direct to point out, like, this is, sometimes it's a direct quote, sometimes, oh, cool. right, yeah. sometimes it's like, this is like, um, would be a reference where it might, when it's in the brackets like that, to say, okay, it's not this language, but here's where we're maybe instructed to pray this way, for example, right? And this is like, where did Jesus tell us, tell us, give us this name to say, that kind of thing. So the point is that you receive um, God's word. I mean, really, preaching, this is the word. I should be clear there. Um, that you receive God's word, you receive the teaching um, that the apostles have handed down that they receive from Jesus, of course. right? That you have your, uh, your baptism, in a sense, renewed to you, that you believe it again. You don't have to be baptized again. But that's what the absolution is. To say you were when you were baptized, you were forgiven. So today I'm gonna tell you again, you're forgiven. Because <laughs> you maybe probably forgot that you were forgiven. 
right. All right, so let's walk through the service a little bit. Uh, oh, I got one more thing to do before we do that. Sorry, I have to think these things through. Um, you can't, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's really what we call the divine service has three parts. <laughs> it's actually three services, but they're all, okay. um, and you know, maybe a hundred years ago or still less than that in some of the larger like city churches, they would actually have two more services as well. There were five in total. Uh-huh. So you'd have a morning prayer service. Da, 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 da. And then you would have what we call a divine service. You would have an afternoon service because mm-hmm. everything took a little bit longer. That We can do it in an hour and a half. They were, uh, at the time of the Reformation, services were probably two and a half, three hours. Really? Yeah. yeah. So who changed? That's always the question. So we have this first part, which we can call the prep, We'll just call it prep. <laughs> it's preparatory. All right. And then you have the service of the word. This isn't really a service, but it's preparatory. Service of the word. All right. And then you have the service of the sacrament. I don't know if I put that on the slides or not up on the screen. I think I do. Yeah. Um, and this is going to connect to your communion question, right? So the service of the sacrament. It, we basically start over again, but now focus towards receiving the Lord's body and blood. Whereas here, we start and we're focused on receiving the word in both read and then preach. So it's two services side by side, but we never really, um, sometimes we'll just have a service of the word, like a prayer office, a prayer service, like in a morning service or some, you know, a non, non-feast day or something like that, or not a Sunday. Um, but we'll never just have a service of the sacrament without a service of the word. Um, because, well, anyway, that's a long story. Um, then there's this preparatory, right? The prep, you know, the prep. And the prep is actually just the confession and absolution that you see there on your first two pages. So that you notice they just call it confession and absolution. Yeah. So this, this is a separate, we, you would actually call it a rite, R-I-T-E. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, it wasn't always done here. Uh, even in our churches, it would be done on like Saturday night or early Sunday morning. You would come and you would do that privately with the pastor. Oh. Yeah. If you, were, if you were intending to receive the sacrament, you would come for confession and absolution. Um, that morning, it depends on the congregation or the night before. And it wasn't done as a congregation. It was done privately. Now, we still have private confession and absolution. Um, but not specifically to receive the sacrament. At some point we shifted and um, thought, it, thought it sufficient for us to, to actually just confess and hear a general absolution right. a, as a congregation. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, that's sufficient maybe for the receiving of the sacrament. Maybe, or maybe not. I mean, it is, there are occasions where people won't come up to the sacrament that are here for the service of the word. Right, and for whatever reason, not because they're not you know, haven't been admitted to the table yet. Like we're doing, we're working towards that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe because they they're holding some a grudge or some sin that they haven't, they don't believe is forgiven or forgivable or something. And so then they're the ones who would come separately to me and say, Pastor, you know, I didn't I didn't come and receive the sacrament because I'm burdened by this sin. And then we, would, and I would forgive them and welcome them back to the table. <laughs> right. So there's still some remnant of the old practice, um, but not too many people. Most people don't think, they don't put these two together, maybe because the service of the words in between. So, um, but that's what this is, this is for. And it's, regardless, it's a good way to start because we're beginning with our baptism then. Right. We begin with the name that's given to us in baptism and the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then with the gift that baptism gives, which is forgiveness of sins, to be washed clean in Christ's blood, right? And that, and that, that unlike the sacrament, um, has different, I'm trying to think what would be a, I know the Latin, I'm trying to think of what a good English word would be, um, instructions. So baptism has a set of instructions attached to it that we would use water and that we would baptize in the name of the father and of the son and the Holy spirit. Right? Uh, the Lord's supper has a different set of instructions to it. Of course, right? You have bread and wine for one thing. You have different words to speak right? Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. And then you also have, have the words of the apostles. We have specific teaching attached to it 
that says whoever eats and drinks of the sacrament in an unworthy manner is guilty of profaning the body and blood of Christ. Right, so then that, that begs the question, what is an unworthy manner, right? Um, and not all churches are in agreement about what that means. So. And then what about the, there's the faith alone? Mm-hmm. The faith alone, that's it, I mean, it's faith. You have faith, you have Yeah, we actually, there's actually, right, right. There's three solas, which just like God, the Holy Trinity, it's like, wait a minute, it's one God, but three persons. How does that make any sense? It's the same thing with the solas. These are Luther. Luther articulated these. Um, got himself into a lot of hot water. A lot of people didn't agree with him. Eventually, you know, what, what is today the Lutheran church? And actually most of the Reformed hold to the solas as well. Um, there's three of them, and, and they're not exclusive of each other. They, you can't have one and not the others. They all have to go together. And yet they're each alone, sola, alone. So you have, you mentioned faith alone. And the Latin is sola fide, all right? Okay. Faith alone. Then you have, can you guess what the other two are? No, no, no. See, those are derivative. We'll get to that in a minute. Scripture alone. Okay. So, I mean, they have different purpose. Faith, how am I saved? By faith alone. How do I know what what it means well what who to believe in jesus for example how do i know what jesus would have me do what gifts he's giving like baptism lord's supper it's by scripture alone there's no other there's no other source for to tell us what it means to be a christian except for scripture right not tradition art like human tradition um and not um like our own instinct like we don't get to tell god what we want he tells us what's what's ours right so scripture alone and then the third Sola gratia. Grace alone, right. All right. Oh, no, this pen is just about done. Do I have another? I have a whole box. Okay. Grace alone. All right. So, so they have different, they're actually responding to different aspects. Um, so faith is regarding, like, how is, uh, what is necessary for salvation is that we trust in Jesus alone, right? Uh, how do I know that from the scriptures alone? not from any other source. Um, is it because I've earned it or I've deserved it or I've done something to, to merit this favor of God? And no, it's by grace alone, by God's giving alone. Yeah, and that affects all of this too, right? Even like we were talking about offerings. You know, is that something that we do? No, actually it's a fruit of faith. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in us that we would support the work of, of the church, Right? Uh, but he does it by speaking, you know, bringing Jesus to us in the scriptures. And Jesus is the one, you know, who we receive. And it's all gift. And then even faith is connected to grace because faith is a gift, free gift of God. You don't, you don't, um, that's, this is actually as Lutheran as it gets, really. <laughs> um, that faith, that faith is, is gift. It's not something that can be, um, mm-mm. no, or even, even the idea of like more or less, I mean, Jesus does use the language of like, you oh, you of little faith, right? Or how great is your faith? He talks in both, um, both ways, but he doesn't have in mind um, like quantity as if it's like measurable, you know, how much faith you have. Like you, you, yeah, you either believe or you don't. Um, this gets us into Paul, so... I'd be a little careful and get too far afield here. We don't do what I want to do tonight. But the, um, that was terrible. I'm usually a little bit, a little bit closer. That at the same time, we're both, we're both 100% by our baptism, believers of God. And that's all pure gift. He gives us the faith to believe it. You know, he, he preaches his word that we would have a sense as a pastor so that we receive it, all that. It's all by gift. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're still, until our dying day, while we have this flesh, as Paul calls it, we struggle against faith. We don't believe. And it's another one of these like paradoxes almost, where it's like, wait a minute, I'm 100% believer, but at the same time, I'm 100% not a believer? That's 200%. You can't do that, right? But again, you have to think about it from aspect. 
according to the flesh, according to natural birth, versus according to the new birth that we receive in the Holy Spirit in baptism. And you have both at the same time. You're both a child of God by baptism through his declaration. You've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He now dwells in you, right? And then there's the devil Well, of course, there's all the external enemies, but you still are opposed to God. The flesh is. You still have, as long as you have your sinful flesh, you're still going to be, you're still going to struggle with unbelief at the same time. So there's uh, the famous, I'm going to say he was a centurion. I think he was a soldier of some sort. It was a man. Brought, um, son was dying, if I remember right. In fact, I should look this up. So I, yeah, but he says, you know, um, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. No, that's, that's, that is a centurion, right? That's a different guy. Um, this is. I don't remember what his name was. I think we might even know his name. But he does, but whoever this is, um, he's got a child that's ill, different guy. And he said, but he says to Jesus, you know, Jesus says, do you believe? And he's like, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's a pretty remarkable statement. You can really get a lot of mileage out of it. It's like, wait a minute. If you believe, then why do you need Jesus to overcome your unbelief? And that's what he's confessing. It's like, I, no, I believe. And yet I also don't. It's just like the disciples or the women after Jesus' resurrection, right? Um, Who is it? I think it's Luke that says that they were disbelieving for joy. So they're happy that they've seen him arisen from the dead, and yet they don't believe. It's like, how can it be both? Well, it's too good to be true, right? So, all right. So preparatory, right? Confession, absolution. Then you have the service of the word, all right? And it's not my words. Um, or at least it's not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and it has a particular structure. Um, so it kind of walks you through. You can see it. Turn yeah, turn your page. After the confession, absolution. There's the you see the first line. It says intro it, um, psalm or what's the other thing? Some entrance hymn. Yeah, we we almost always do an intro it, which is a a psalm that's been appointed for the day. Um, to enter, so you've noticed that like, while I pray that or sing that psalm, I go up to the altar. I'm entering into the altar. Or even our sanctuary is still patterned after the temple or the tabernacle, yeah. that there's the holy place and then there's the most holy place. Except the difference is unlike in the temple, everyone can be brought into the most holy place up to the altar of God and receive from the mercy seat of God, if you like, which was above the Ark of the Covenant in days of old, but now it's upon the altar. Uh, not just the high priest, but actually all the people, which is, see, that's new versus old. It's not the old was bad, but the new is greater. All right, so let's see, what are we doing? Enter. So we enter, that's all that means, intro it. That's usually almost always a psalm. Sometimes it has little bits of other things, like... Uh, the same book as in the... Yep, yep. Sometimes the intro it will have... Um, like a quote from one of the, from the epistle for the day or the gospel. Sometimes it will also have a, that's that's one of the places where we'll use some apocryphal text. Sometimes. And then is it just you announce words? Yeah, we have to print those off. They're not in the book. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those they're either up on the screen or we have them. They're inside the that bulletin that goes in the back. Yeah, because this this is what's called a proper, mm-hmm. um, and this is what's called the. Like not this part. This, like the Kyrie, mm-hmm. is called is called the ordinary. So ordinary, these are the things that don't change. Ordinarily, we sing the Kyrie, and we sing the Gloria in Excelsis. We pray that the Lord have mercy on us, mm-hmm. which makes a lot more sense if we haven't just confessed our sins. But there you go. We say it again anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we sing the song of the angels at the birth of Christ, oh. right? So we're, this is like we're the Old Testament people of God crying out for His mercy, right? And then Christ comes. And then the angels break forth into song, but we don't just sing the song of the angels. Um, I think turn the page. It might be on the next page. Yeah, we also sing with John the Baptist at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he points to Jesus and says, "Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." So we're already anticipating Jesus. He's he just forgave our sins here, but we're also anticipating him forgiving us. In preaching, right, because I'll usually have some kind of declaration of forgiveness in the sermon, but also forgiveness, of course, in the sacrament, because he's attached that to his body and blood. All right, so then, that's ordinary, but the, my point was is that this part, 
it changes depending on what day it is. So it's either a pointed or I select one. It depends on uh, if it's a, an occasion or not. Does it need this or in the pamphlet? Yeah, so this would be printed. These parts don't need to be printed because they're ordinary. They don't change. This part changes. All right, and then same here. We have the salutation. So the salutation is a, something that we still do, I guess, um, in other contexts, right? You walk into, you walk into, I don't know, a client meeting or something, you're going to greet your client, right? You're going to say, hello, how are you? It's good to see you again. Something like that, right? Same thing happens at least twice, maybe, no, actually, I think it happens, happens three times <laughs> during all of this, is that I say, the Lord be with you, right? Which is like saying, God be with you, right? It's a greeting, actually. And then you say, with thy spirit, right? Or also with you, depending on which service we're using. So it's kind of like that handshake, like you would do it when you would meet with somebody, um, whether you've seen them recently or not. Uh, yeah, um, there, is a, there is a place historically right here. Oh, this, this marker is not better than the one I threw away. Oh, well. There is a place right here. Um, we, drew, we were doing it before COVID, and then we stopped because of COVID. And then after COVID, I decided to do it again, but then recently we stopped doing it again. It, <clears throat> just not every service actually appoints this, but they call it, historically, this was called the kiss of peace, um, which is a little hard for us today because we don't go around kissing each other. I mean, we're we're not French or you know, we're not European, you know, French or Italian or something where we're, to kiss a friend is perfectly you know, non-sexual. It's just a greeting, right? So they would do that too. And the idea was um, that you would go around and you would greet everyone before going to the service of the sacrament, right? So that if perchance maybe you had somebody there that you held a grudge against or they were holding something against you, that you would reconcile before you would go to the Lord's table together. So it's really beautiful. Um, that meaning is kind of lost. Most of our congregations, they, you'll just, people will just kind of turn around in the pew and just greet the people around them. They don't try to greet yeah, everybody. That's, that's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like... I kind of wanted to do that times, you know, like just walk all over the Well, you should. You should. You know, don't be ashamed about it. Say, hey, look, I'm... Especially the people sitting close to you, you know, and... Um, you know, like in the case of, uh, well, with Sovereign, you know, it might be helpful just to let people know, hey, look, we're new. We haven't, he, had, he wasn't, he had, didn't grow up in the church, so he's still figuring this out. And we're, you know, just be patient with us, that kind of thing. And, and that, you know, it's just courtesy, but it's also, it builds a relationship, right? So then they know who you are and what you're going through and they can pray for you and help, you know, help as they can. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, don't be ashamed about it. I mean, I try to do that. And when I came... Uh, so it's not been four years and I came and I did that. I, I would stand at the back. I greet everybody as they came in. You know, I'd walk up and down the pews before church if I got there late or something or somebody snuck in the side door, try to make sure I gre greeted everybody. And they're like, what, what, what is wrong with you? Nobody ever, nobody ever, none of the other pastors did that. I'm like, I don't know why. It's like, cause this is that part. It's like, Mm -mm. No, I would do it before we even started the confession absolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still do. I still do. But, um, yeah, I had to run upstairs probably when you came in. Yeah. So, anyway, I saw you there, though, when I came in. At least acknowledge the boys, give them a... Oh, but I was thinking it was more like in the Catholic, like Yeah, right. No, we haven't done that since Easter. No... Since Christmas, oh, that's right. that's since Christmas, right, yeah. we were doing it before Christmas or at Christmas time. Um, anyway, yes. So, but this is another. It's very similar to that. So I say, "The Lord be with you." You say, "And with thy spirit, and also with you." Depends on which service we're using, right? And then you're basically saying, "Yep, I see you." I'm saying, "I see you," and you say, "I see you." I'm. Can I? Can we keep going? And you're like, "Yep, let's keep going." That's what it is, right? Uh, and then we pray, and then we have a collect of the day. So that's obviously another one that's not going to be printed in here because it changes depending on the day, oh, okay. right? Okay. It's another proper. So anything that's not printed in here gets printed into the book 
except for readings. I don't print the readings out. Um, just because I'm interested in paper saving and not making things too complicated. Um, then, so we, now we, we've, we've gone from the nave, we've gone up to the altar, and we've, or I'm going up as your representative. I mean, we could all go up together, but it would get a little awkward, especially now that we have pews. We didn't have pews for the first couple hundred years of our existence, but this church has always had pews, but Lutherans haven't always had pews. Used to be we just mill about. You oh, just follow the pastor where he goes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something cool about that. We do that a few times a year. On um, do a little bit like Christmas Eve. We did it on Palm Sunday, right where the kids came in with me. And oh, sure. yeah, we could have had the whole congregation come in, yeah, yeah. but we have so many old old folks that don't oh, like to. They just like to be in their pew and sit there. So whatever. Sure. All right. Um, then we have the word, uh, the readings, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got um, an Old Testament reading which is actually pretty new for us. We've only been using Old Testament readings maybe for the last, depending on the, depends on the church, 50 to 70 years. Um, the Old Testament would be read in that morning service that we lost. It was called Matins. So we used to like start with a morning prayer service where we would hear um, either the epistle or the, I think usually actually the epistle. Maybe the Old Testament reading came in the afternoon because you'd spend all day at church. It was a Sabbath day after all, right? Uh, all of this is gone. People don't do the same more. And if I, I've suggested it, and people are like, no, I'm not going to. It's hard enough for me to go to church for two hours. I'm like, okay, fine. All right. Um, so we have the Old Testament. It got moved into the service, just like confession and absolution got moved into the context of the service because people weren't taking advantage of it. You didn't have people presenting themselves to be communed then because oh, they hadn't okay. confessed. Da, 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 da. So um, then there's a, a gradual or another psalm, which you can see there, right? So psalm or gradual. I tend to do a psalm. Um, I don't know what my predecessors did. But the, the psalmody is interesting because, you know, that's, that's the oldest hymn book that we have. Mm-hmm. It's the book of Psalms. It's, in, it's included in the scriptures, but they were written to be sung. And we just don't have the music. I think we talked about that. Mm-hmm. We don't know how they sang them necessarily. Um, although the, the kind of singing that we do is... It's like a very basic version of what like Pope Gregory set up, you know, Gregorian chant. You've heard that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a way of singing the Psalms, Gregorian chant. Mm-hmm. He based his chanting off of what was happening in the synagogues at his time, which was about 500, BC, or 500 AD, so about 500 years after Jesus. They went to the synagogues, they listened to how they were singing the Psalms and tried to replicate it in a Western way for the church. That doesn't mean that's how Jesus sang them. Or something, right? Because you're 500 years later. Who knows, right? right? Or David sang them. We didn't. I don't think it matters. No, it doesn't. Um, but often they do say, like, "Sing to the Lord a new song," and then, and if we just speak it, it seems a little strange, well, right? <laughs> right. Well, and I, and I think we use a very basic. You've noticed we use like just the same tone, like for a while, for a few weeks, and um, and it's kind of it's not really all that exciting. There'd be better ways maybe to do it, but. Uh, we don't have things like a, you know, we don't have a choir that's been meeting since COVID. The choir, yeah, we were doing choirs. We had children, and we had adults, and all of that. Try to, we'll get those things back, but um, you know, it was already kind of pulling teeth actually before, so it's, it's a little bit nice to just kind of not have to worry too hard about that. Anyway, there's a psalm, so you got more psalm. Um, obviously some of the other things we've been saying on that right-hand column are just quoted right out of the Psalms too, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then the epistle, so that's, that's this, that's this part, mm-hmm. the apostles doctrine or teaching, mm-hmm. right? So what the epistles often do is, um, teach what Jesus taught them or, um, explain what the new Testament. So the new Testament is largely narrative with some exposition, I mean, Jesus, you know, preaches, mm-hmm. um, then the, the epistles will either explain those. Sometimes the epistles explain Old Testament texts, but in light of Jesus, which is pretty cool. The book of Hebrews does that. It says, you know, it's like, how do we understand Jesus in light of the Old Testament temple, sacrifices, all of that kind of stuff, which is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an epistle. And then we have a verse, and there's different kinds of verses there, but... You know, from, from Easter all the way through the summer 
until actually until next Lent, so next spring, there's, we sing Alleluia's before we read, hear the gospel of various forms. Sometimes lots of them, sometimes a few of them. But there's an Alleluia verse there. And then you have the gospel read. And that the gospel has a special position, of course, because it is, this is the gospels, as in like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they deliver the gospel, which is Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, right? Um, so that's why we stand, right, to distinguish it from the other readings. Um, it's kind of a reverence thing or, you know, whatnot. And then um, we have other rites sometimes, depends on the time of the year, like during first couple Sundays in Easter, processed into the congregation. Um, some, some congregations have a separate book just for the gospel readings. It's called a gospel book, and they'll have a separate book that has a special cover and all sorts of things. So there's different ways to kind of show reverence, that, but that that's the text, and that's usually the text that I preach on. Hmm. Historically, uh, as of late, I've actually been preaching more from the epistles, which is harder, because the gospels are easier to preach from because they're usually just stories, and so then you can you know explain how those are um, how, how those are applied by the Spirit to you today, but. To take an explanation and then try to explain the explanation, you end up with like, like to preach from an epistle, you end up abstracting it even more. It's already kind of abstract. And then in your attempt to explain it, you just make it even more convoluted. I'm going to try to do it on Sunday anyway, though. So it goes. Um, and then the hymn of the day. And the hymn of the day connects you, connects the gospel to the sermon. And then the sermon is explaining everything you've just heard. Um, usually not that, not that thorough, though. It's usually focused on like one, right. one idea. You know, um, let's see, last Sunday it was, um, you know, the, give, the, the way that, uh, that God gives gifts, right? Just, just a little thing. And that, you know, every, everything that we need for body and life, our entire existence is actually dependent upon God and his giving. All right. Yeah, and that was from the epistle. That wasn't from the gospel text. The gospel text was was actually um, actually not one of the easier ones. It's one of the harder ones because you have you have the promise of the Holy Spirit, who's the Comforter, and then He comes and He convicts the world of sin and of uh, of, or of righteousness and of judgment. So we have the the gift of the Holy Spirit, gift language. We'll hear more about the Spirit this week, but. The gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to us as a comforter or an advocate would be another way to translate that. And yet his work that Jesus says he comes to do is to convict, right? Convictions aren't usually good, right? But notice the convictions are of um, sin, not only our sin, but the sin, you know, of the world. The world itself, so it's temptations, it's, you know, whatever. Showing the world to be what it is, which is, it's not this like morally neutral place. Which is how most people think of the world. This is most people how most people think of government as morally neutral, right? I'm talking about that. Oh, they're mostly harmless. They're really like, no, not really. Not ever in the history of the world. That doesn't mean God can't use them for our benefit, but they're never morally neutral. It's uh, whether, regardless of whether or not you know they use their authority for good or ill. I mean, even the most godly, you know, like in Christendom, you know, Constantine or something. Yeah, he's actually not a great person. Same thing with the kings, though, if you go in the Old Testament. You know, David was a pretty terrible person. I mean, he murdered one of his soldiers so he could steal his wife. I mean, this is, this is not something commendable, right? All right, anyway. Um, the world, so he convicts the world, and, uh, and of righteousness. So the way uh, the Spirit you know, convicts the world of all the ways that they try to live, not by God's giving alone, but by their own works, by their own merit. You know, trying to earn your way to God. That's the natural religion of all people. It's like, what do I need to do to be saved? And the answer is nothing. I'm like, well, that's not, that's not acceptable. <laughs> I need to do something. I'm like, no, you don't. Well, but you said I need to believe. Yeah, I do, but that's a gift to you, right? Want to be baptized? Yeah, okay, let's do it, right? And even that response of yes is the gift by the Holy Spirit, which is, it seems like just like theological trickery, but it's not, it's not. Because a lot, I mean, I have so many conversations with people saying, um, so what's to, what's to prevent you from being baptized? And they're like, nothing, but I just don't want to be. I'm like, why? It's a free gift. It's, 
There's promises. God promises. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to do it again. It's one one time. One time. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's like. Well, I think what it is is that people still because that that natural religion is um, that you have to do something. They even think that if God promises a gift, there must be strings attached to it. Right. So if it, yeah, so he says here's baptism and here's all the gifts of baptism. But then you know what that means. I'm going to require some stuff from you, right? You know, it's like a mob, like the mob, the mob boss, right? He's like, I'm going to do you this favor, and you know what that means, right? It means that he's going to expect you to do favors for him now too, probably more for him than what he did for you, right? Right, but where did that come from? Exactly. So it's this ongoing work of the Spirit working through your baptism that brought you back to church that, or, and has encouraged you to continue to hear God's Word and you know, to struggle with your children, to attend service, and you know, all of that. It's not something you would walk into voluntarily, if we're going to be honest about it. I don't think. I don't think. Um, but, it's that, but it's that tension, right? I mean, you're like, but I want to. Well, yeah, of course you do. Right, but we need to be honest and say, yeah, but I also don't really want to. Like, it would be a lot easier for me if I didn't. You're like, yeah, that's true too. Right, and that's that internal struggle. Um, it's different for everybody. Some people more or less, you know. Um, yeah, I believe somehow Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good work, word for it. Luther uses that word. Like, God drives us, like, um, you know. What does he say? He says that we're like we're God's ass. He rides us like his ass, mm-hmm. you know, meaning donkey. In that book uh, that I first read, um, hmm. why am I Lutheran? That one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One of them, one of them was Luther. One of those one of the top uh, pastors. Saying how uh, we're like thieves. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing with yeah conscience or uh, with the will, I mean, that's a complicated topic, I suppose, um, because the will before God is bound. Before our neighbor, we have many choices that we make. I mean, you, you, got to, you decided, you know, get up in the morning and do whatever work you need to do and not walk out in front of moving vehicles and this kind of stuff. I mean, you make choices all the time, right? And God gives us that will. Right, but before him, he says explicitly that, that you did not choose me, but I chose you. Yeah. Which is just hard. That's a nuance for people. They're like, well, wait a minute. If I can choose to do this and do that, why can't I choose to believe? Um, because yeah, Jesus. Yeah, because it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, now, <laughs> the problem is, is you can't choose to believe in God, but you can choose to deny him. So, and that's, that's what sin is, ultimately. It's just the, that um, willingness to, to disregard both what you can observe in nature through natural law, but more importantly, what you, can, what you read in God's Word and say, ah, I can't believe this. This is nuts, you know? Um, so, so when you talk about you know, God on one side and the devil on the other side, it's like, given your own choice, you're always going to choose have the devil because he's got the easier road he's got the easier way right. it's kind of like um do you read do you read sci-fi at all i like <laughs> sci-fi I, I read, okay you know, if you read um read the series uh, from stephen king his um the stand? well if you read the stand that's a, that one's fun that's I easier than reading read dark tower did we talk about did we already yeah, talk about this okay we already talked about it right yeah i mean that's the thing it's like everything that um the man in black offers is the kind of things that we naturally want to do anyway, you know? Yeah. So it's the easy way. Whereas the way that's set before by the kind of divine figure, it's hard. Yeah. It's the hard road and it's difficult. Um, but it's the right way. Yeah. So I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he, he does pick up on those kind of archetypes because that that's present in other kinds of, religions too, the hard way. Not on all of them. I mean, like Buddhism, it's just basically, you know, just go along for the ride. Well, he knows about it, so he is. I, yeah. Well, and this, this is uh, uh, Flannery O'Connor. Do you know Flannery O'Connor? 
She was a Southern author. She's been dead probably 30 years now. Yeah, I think she was Roman Catholic, but but it, it's not really evident <laughs> um, always. I mean, she is, but you can't always tell. Um, but she, she she describes America as being Christ-haunted, meaning it's kind of like Jesus came over w- with the immigrants from the old world, but they didn't bring everything. They didn't bring the, the entire memory of what they had received in the churches of Europe. And so he's still, he's here and he's in like, um, he's kind of, Jesus is still like present in the shadows. Obviously he's here in the church explicitly. And what, but, but in every, everybody has some, they still like, whether it's epigenetic, like it's been passed on in the genes or something, they still understand this idea of, of redemption and needing a savior, um, especially here. So yeah. All right, good. So that's the service of the word. And then, like I said, there's the kiss of peace here. There was another ceremony that we don't do anymore, but there was the one where it's the doors, the doors. I forget what they called it. And so then anyone who wasn't prepared to receive the sacrament, who hadn't been admitted to the table yet, meaning they haven't been instructed in the, in the faith of the congregation, you know, as they confess it, and of, of course the reception of the Lord's Supper, they would actually be asked to leave. Oh, really? Yeah, the doors, the doors, they go out. Um, not in every church, not in every tradition, but that was that was pretty common for a long time. One of the older uh, senior members, mm-hmm. um, when we were out there, was like offering the little cups. Oh yeah, yeah, because they don't know. Yeah. Right, and so what you can do is if you cross your arms. Oh, oh okay. It's, I don't know if that's in the bulletin, but I think it is the bulletin. It says to cross your arms. Then they know that because if you don't have your your arms occupied, then they know. Okay, you're not. You're there for prayer, yeah, for blessing, right? Which is actually that's not all. That's kind of a new thing too. But um, I think it's helpful because you know, especially like with children, but even with you, it's like you no, know, we want you at the table, but we're still working you know, towards that, so that you can, in full confidence, confess that you believe what we believe and all of that. All right, so. We don't make you leave anymore. It used to be leave, and some of that was a little mystical in that, you know, um, depending on which tradition you're talking about or which congregation, they were like, the Lord's Supper is it's kind of bizarre, actually, to reason. It's like, wait a minute, you're eating his body and blood, but it's not being consumed. You're not really cannibals, but it's kind of like, how is it possible? And it's kind of strange. And like, yeah, we don't really want to show you all of that until we've taught you about it first. I don't know. That that changed a while ago. The Lutherans have never had that practice. Right? Oh, right. So by the by the time of the medieval church, it was gone. But but in the early church, that was present. Then you have the service of the sacrament, and it basically starts over. So we do this. We do. We have the. Uh, I don't know, you have to turn your page. Yeah. Well, we had the creed. We didn't talk about the creed. That's all service. Now here's the service of the sacrament. See, it even says it. So it's the same thing. We have a greeting. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. And then there's some more instruction. And you can see where that's taken from. It's uh, maybe referring to Colossians 3, Psalm 136. That's actually a quote. Right? And we have this preface. So a preface is like an introduction. So then there's this introduction to say, here's what we're about to do here. This is why we're here to do it, right? This is the point. That's true. We didn't talk about the prayer or the creed or the offering. Oh, well. Um, Yeah. And then there's, what comes next? The Sanctus. You see that? So we've got that, Sanctus. This is ordinary. So we always sing some version of this. This is the song of the angels from Isaiah 6. All right. So that's when Isaiah was ordained as, um, as prophet. Okay. He had this heavenly vision. They took the tong of coals and touched his lips and said, you know, made him oh, clean yeah. so that he could preach. Yeah. It's a vision. It's pretty beautiful. Um, right. But he does that. He's going to touch our lips, right? And make us clean like he did Isaiah. So that's the connection there. But it ends actually with Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. So, so then, so we're confessing two things. The Lord is coming to forgive us, to make us clean. Um, and he's coming in lowly, riding on a donkey of sorts. And actually, in this case, on bread, under bread and wine. So like on Palm Sunday, which is pretty cool. So we do that every Sunday. 
That's, that's ordinary. Most Western churches that have something they call the Lord's Supper are going to sing that every time. That's ordinary, ordinarily there. Uh, then we have the Lord's Prayer, right? There's sometimes another prayer in there, but... I thought this was the beginning of the Nope, it's part of the service of the sacrament. So it gets, it, it gets repurposed, because that's our daily prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But in the context of, of the divine service, it actually becomes the table prayer, right? And specifically, you can think about it, like with some of those petitions. We could do a whole class just on this, but... You know, give us this day our daily bread. Well, specifically there, the daily bread is Christ's body and blood for forgiveness of sins. When we pray it each day, we're referring to all the things we need for body and life. Here, we're very specifically. Yeah. So it's we're at a table, and there's going to be a meal. So it's that's what it is. It's the table prayer before the meal. Um, of course, we say, forgive us our trespasses, which he does in the sacrament. Deliver us from evil, which he does in the sacrament. Give us daily bread, we said. I'm forgetting petitions. Our heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, which is coming to us with Jesus. Thy will be done. His will is that we be forgiven in his son's name, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation, right? Um, is that true, the trespass and the death thing? Yeah, that's just two different translations. Um, trespasses and debts. Either way, it's it's debts before God. The debts that sin owes. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he forgives us our debts, meaning we can't, re and there's parables for this, so you'll hear this summer, but um, depending on if you're traveling or something, but, um, you know, the debt that, that we owe God, yeah, nobody's going to travel, um, the debts that we owe before God, we cannot repay, but then, but they are repaid, right? So, and you hear, we'll hear that in a number of different ways from different parables. Um, let's see. So yes, that's the Lord's prayer. It's the table prayer for, for the Lord's supper, but it can be used in both places, right? Then we obviously hear the words that the Lord has given us to say at the Lord's supper every time, right? The words of institution, just like with baptism, we always say, I baptize you in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit, because Jesus explicitly said, go and baptize saying these words, right? Same thing here. When, um, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Say these words, right? Um, do this in remembrance of me means do this the way that I told you to do it. Actually. All right. And then we have the peace because now we ha now there's peace between God and man in the forgiveness of sins. That he's going to give us under the bread and wine. All right. Uh, and then we sing the same song again that we sang way back at the beginning. Remember at the beginning in the Gloria, we sang the song of the angels, and then we sang St. John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And now, after the, after the bread and wine have been set, up, set aside, made holy by God, you know, for our reception, for forgiveness of sins, then we sing it again. O, Lamb, o Christ, the Lamb of God that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. Mm -hmm. So we actually pray. We, that's one of the things we pray more than once. We pray it twice, okay. um, but in two contexts, right? One, we're looking forward to it, and here, when we're about to receive it. All right, and then the Lord's Supper is distributed. Um, there's different ways to do that. It's not, some people do drive-by, some people kneel, some people stand. Drive-by meaning they just kind of, we just, um, but here, it used to be everybody would come up. They, I would invite them all to kneel. This is all before COVID. They would all, they, whoever was at the table received, and then I would dismiss them all by a table, and then another table would come up, and it would take like 25 minutes, and, after COVID, I said, hey, you can speed this up a little bit. <laughs> That's why people just come up and kneel, they receive, and when after they've received, they just go back. And then I give a blessing to everybody at the end. I wasn't sure if there was any problem. No, you're doing fine. All right, after we've received it, just like you would with a meal, especially a formal meal, we before the meal we prayed, and then after the meal we pray again, mm -hmm. this time in Thanksgiving for what we've just received. Right? So we say, you know, I, th um, I thank you, my Heavenly Father, whatever, however we say it, right? That he would increase in us faith toward you would increase in us faith toward you and fervent love toward one another, through the sacrament, through this through this gift, All right? Uh, oh, there's a canticle there too, and this is unique to Luther, Lutherans, I should say, the Nunc Dimittis. It's not ordinary, even though it's printed in here. This is ordinary. We always sing this or say that, but Nunc Dimittis. It's kind of ordinary, but not always. This is one thing that I'll drop if we're running long on time, or the kids are screaming or something. 
Uh, I'll just, we'll just skip it. Um, well, I know, I, I recognize. Sometimes uh, you got to set your priorities. That's the song of Simeon. So G- baby Jesus brought to the temple. Um, okay. Let's see, he would have been 40 days. Uh, so 40 days after his birth, he's brought to the temple, presented. Uh, Simeon is there by the Spirit, waiting to receive the Messiah. The Spirit has led him there to, to wait and watch for Jesus to come, um, which is crazy. Same with Anna, who's with him as well, the older woman. And they both sing as a result, right? And he says, behold, now, you know, my eyes have seen, you know, my salvation. And he says that as he's holding the infant baby Jesus, which is just incredible, right? Because um, it's a confession of faith. I mean, he, Jesus hasn't yet grown. He hasn't yet preached or taught. He hasn't yet suffered and died and risen and ascended. And yet Simeon can already say, this is my salvation in this little child. Um, and so we say the same thing. You know, that having just received Christ's body and blood under bread and wine, you know, that's our salvation. We just received it again and again and again, every time we receive it. And then it's never good for us to leave without a blessing. So um, the benediction is interesting um, because the one that we're, that's there in the service three is from Numbers 6, I think, right? Is that what it says? The blessing? You have to turn the page. One more page. Yeah, the last page. Benediction number six. Yeah, good. So that's those are the words that Aaron would say to the assembly gathered at the, um, you know, on, on like say the Day of Atonement or whatever at the tabernacle. Those were the words of blessing he would give to them to dismiss them. And we still do that because they're still good. Um, but it's kind of interesting because you might have noticed, or maybe you haven't, I'll point it out, that there's, uh, there's three lines. There's three, there's three words of blessing. So, uh, but this is Old Testament. This is a long time before God had revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. I mean, he had revealed himself in ways, um, but that wasn't their confession at that point, right? They did not yet know him that way. The son had not yet been born. Yeah. So there's already this like foreshadowing of that coming. So you could, you can almost attach to each of those three words of blessing. Um, You can attach them to Father, Son, and Spirit. So the Lord bless you and keep you, Father, the Lord (coughs) Um, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. So we have beheld the face of God um, in Jesus, right? The Lord uh, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, right? Which is in the New Testament, that's one of the promises of the Holy, that the gift of the Holy Spirit will give is to bring us um, the forgiveness that Jesus has won and to bring us peace. So it's kind of interesting. You've got Old Testament blessing, word of blessing and benediction. A good word is what that means. And then if you think about it in terms of what we now know of the Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, it fits. Mm-hmm. Almost as if it was intentional. <laughs> That's a joke. It was intentional. Right, right. Yeah, so, and you notice that this is setting three, right? And they're setting four. Settings generally mean that the, that the overarching structure is going to be almost the same or very, same, very much the same. Some things are going to be... Uh, maybe slightly different translation of the words, but still the same words, but slightly different. So you might take one of these four? Or... Yeah, exactly. And, and I tend to use one for a while. Five. So I'll use the same setting for a while. Five is interesting because instead of um, you sing hymns in place of the ordinary parts. Yeah. But generally the words are pretty similar between them, but they're enough different. Like setting one and two use um, more modern language because they were both written in the um, 70s, 80s. Well, 70s, really. Yeah. And so that's Vatican II with the Roman Catholic Church was changing from Latin into English and other languages. Uh, And then that trickled out into our churches where we modernized some of our translations. That was a strange noise. Uh, Oh, it's the bell. That's what it is. Then... um, yeah, so we're going to be done here in a second. So, but service three is what we call the this one we're using right now. It's called the common service historically. Um, it's this. It's that's a version of what our churches have used in English since we went to English back in the some of our churches in the teens already. And everybody by the forties was in English or had English services. Um, so it's a version of that, but it even predates our use 
So it comes out of um, the Lutherans that had migrated here long before our churches did. Um, and it also, but it's, but it's actually based upon the um, setting of the divine service that the, that the Book of Common Prayer has, the Church of England, which is, they base their service on Luther's uh, reform of, of the uh, Latin Mass. So Luther reformed the Latin Mass. The English church took Luther, translated it into English. We Germans, mostly, some Scandinavians, come over doing what we're doing. Then we have to switch to English for sometimes obvious reasons or necessary reasons, sometimes just because we live in a country where English was the predominant language, right? Mm -hmm. And so then we end up using the one that came through the Church of England oh. by way of Luther, but through a different church, and then we bring it back in. And that's what Service 3 is. Oh, right. oh. Most of our churches, and also other churches like um, Wisconsin Synod or um, the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, um, there's other church bodies that have used some variation of that as well. Yeah. So that's the most common of them, but it still has some of the archaic language in it, you know, like Old English kind of stuff, especially in the singing, like Holy Ghost and these and thous. Yeah. They took it out of the word when you speak. You don't speak the these and thous, but you, we sing them. Yeah, anyway. right. So that, that's the service. But again, what's the point of the service? You know, the three parts, the hop goddess scenes, is to, to deliver what we first received and what Jesus instituted. And we saw right, right away at, the, at Pentecost in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. And we just do it every time we gather. We receive all of this, actually, mm -hmm. in one way or another. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool that we're still living in the tradition of the apostles. Right. Yeah. But if you don't walk through those parts, you maybe you don't see all of it. So that's why, that's why we do it. All right. Okay, got it. Thank you Good. Guys. All right. Thanks for hanging on there. We'll. Uh, we thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org that's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.